In this episode of Video Culture, we'll talk ancient warriors and modern times with Spartan and Ronin. Did you rewind it? I don't know. In a time where... Everyone has a podcast in a place where everyone has an opinion. Two heroes, Matthew and Ryan, against all odds, are here to save your movie viewing experience from total disaster. Your trip through the video aisles of yesteryear begins now. There will be chills. There will be thrills, and there's a good chance that Ryan will have a coffee spill. They'll discuss the quality, cultural significance, and more detail, frankly, than you bargained for. Here's your host, Ryan Acree and Matthew Essery. And welcome to another episode of Video Culture. I'm your host, Ryan Acree. And I'm Matthew Essery. And this week we have... Ancient Warriors, Modern Times, Spartan, and Ronin. So, one of these movies you probably never heard of. One of you probably have. You may have only even not heard of either of them. Um, But they star some pretty big stars, right? I mean, Spartan stars uh, Val Kilmer. And and Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell. And then um, uh, the, the other movie, Ronin, stars Robert De Niro. And Gene Reno. No, well, actually, Jean Reno. Not, Jean not, Reno. not to be picky, but Jean Reno. And it also Jean stars Sean me, Jean. Bean and uh, yeah. Stellan Skarsgård. It's got, it's got a lot of people in it. Yeah. Very, very well cast movie. And Spartan was released in uh, 2004. And, I mean, even though that they have names like Spartan and Ronan, which Ronan will we'll figure out what Ronan is, but it's an ancient, um, uh, like, uh, you know, like, uh, what do they call the <laughs> it's they're all Chinese, as, Chinese, as, Chinese as, warriors or no, well, well, no, well, I, as, as, as the resident film nerd of this duo, I, I'll step in here. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, a, a Ronin is a, is a, is a Japanese warrior, uh, typically known as a samurai. A samurai. But a samurai was, was like a job, uh, where you worked for someone. You were, you were, a, you were a guard, you were a warrior. Well, they're, um, they're kind of like, you're the, basically a soldier. Well, they're kind of all, they're, they're similar equivalent to the Western world knights, right? Like, yes. Yes. So, because there were feudal Japan and feudal England, and then they, they had samurai. Yeah. And, so, but, but, but a Ronin is, as they expressly say in Ronin, uh, is a, uh, the samurai who has lost his master. Right. And no he's one. basically a, a samurai who basically decides to work for himself. Yeah. A uh, whether that's as a hired goon, uh, a mercenary, uh, you know, again, uh, basically a, ha- a have gun will travel kind of character. You know, I mean, basically right. a warrior who, who basically works for whoever will pay him. Right. Um, well, and then the you know Spartan you know comes from um, like the Roman. Um, Greek armies, right? Like the, um, yeah, right. It comes from ancient Greece. It, it was a very strict, uh, 
Uh, it was a very strict, uh, basically, military regiment from the land of Sparta in ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. They were basically the military society. They were the the warriors of that of that realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they, were, they were sort of like the the, the really hard edged. But like like of all the different cultures of Greece, Greece, Greece was a very diverse. Ancient Greece was a very diverse culture, and the Spartan culture was was just like was their very militaristic. Uh, society like that's where a lot of their true warriors were were came from they they were basically born and bred to be combatants and to be defenders of 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 basically the country right but a very harsh very unforgiving lifestyle mm. you know it was very much survival of the fittest you know you know it was very very much darwinism you know mm-hmm. survival of the fittest you know the idea of like you know, might makes right. In a lot of ways, kind of a very fascist sort of society where where the strong lead. Right, right. Um, and and but both these movies have nothing to do with like the the ancient world, other than just no. the meanings behind those two words. And Spartan was done in 2004, and Ronan was done in in 1998, and they both take place in like you know, the modern time, like just present day uh, of, of that time period. And um, so, but let's just talk about uh, Spartan first. Uh, even though that it was done later, it's kind of like the lesser of the known uh, movies and, uh, you know, starring Val Kilmer. And you get the idea that like, he's the, he's the Spartan, right? He's the one that's like following the army. He's the one that's like in the, the, um, you know, in the fight of it. And he's just like this black, you know, what, you know, like black ops, like, you know, special operative, uh, like government, like whatever, like government kind of, you know, modern day, uh, spook kind of, you know, army, you know, or, or Marine kind of guy. Right. You basically, yeah, you, you need things done. He's the, he's one of the guys you call, right. You, know? you need some sneaky stuff done. You know, he's the guy that's like not on the map, you know, no connections anywhere, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And if it sounds like we're being vague about about this, about this movie and and his character, it's because the entire film is sort of vague. It's one of those films that's kind of a throwback to the 70s sensibility of it. It doesn't really explain to you what's going on initially. Like It doesn't give you like plot set up and like, here's the beginning of the story. Here's the middle of the story. Here's the end. You're kind of just dropped into things as it's happening. Yeah, it has a kind of a like in that '70s kind of throwback sensibility of like it doesn't hold your hand. You're just in the moment. It just drops. I mean, literally drops you off in the middle of the forest. I think the first scene is like some guy chasing after somebody in the middle of the forest in the middle of nowhere, and yeah. uh, you know, and then even uh, as you're still trying to figure out who all the characters are, what their names are. What what is actually happening? What what is actually going on? You don't even really figure out what you know what this movie is going to be about, or what you're going to be watching for the next uh, like 106 minutes until about probably 10 minutes in the movie, and you realize that uh, a government official's daughter has been kidnapped, and then you don't even know the government official like what his status is whether he's a, a governor whether he's a senator whether he's the president you have no idea but it's up to this team to find out where 
you know, the the daughter of this government official is uh, because she's been, you know, she's been kidnapped. I mean, that's just basically the the movie. Uh, it was written and yeah. directed by a guy named David Mamet, who did Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, A Postman Always Rings Twice, uh, The Untouchables, Hoffa, Wag the Dog, Hannibal, and he's he's like now known as kind of like this guy who's done really awesome like government you know movies that are kind of like this way kind of like you know sort of jack ryanish uh type of stuff and he's even gone into doing like some tv shows and stuff like that um you know kind of based on uh you know government workings and army and military kind of things well, one thing Mamet's one thing Mamet's really known for is his dialogue. He he has this he has, he writes this very kind of masculine, punchy dialogue that doesn't over-explain things. But if you pay attention to it, it basically can suck you in, and and you, you basically learn about the story more from what's not said than what is said. And mm-hmm. he's one of the few writers who really writes like that, where where the pauses and the silence and the implied things are just as important as as you know the actual dialogue mm-hmm. and he he's he, his his way of his way of writing dialogue he started out as a as a guy who wrote who wrote stage plays and it, it's mm-hmm. he's, he's he's got a very strong sense of language and how people talk to each other yeah um his 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 his, his dialogue is very rapid and it'll overlap yeah um and a lot of ways you don't see in a lot of in a lot of even films nowadays you don't see a lot of his sort of kind of like muscular aggressive kind of dialogue and it's and it's really one of the great things about spartan is that the movie is full of this kind of stuff it's almost everything is said in code or said in implied phrases mm-hmm. um and it's just it's full of so many quotable things and so many moments I'm sure a few of them are going to be hard to, to quote because they they have profanity and then we try to keep this, this podcast mm-hmm. pg right but I mean, it's just it's full of like these wonderful little sound bites of uh, of like uh, of where, where you basically learn about the characters through like their their conversations, right? Without, but they don't ever actually say this is who I am. This is where I'm from. Yeah, it's all it's all kind of implied through context. Yeah, yeah, it's a, I it's mean, so very unique. Yeah, it's it's almost a similar type of writing, similar but different. Um, than Aaron Sorkin. And some people might know Aaron Sorkin from uh, A Few Good Men, uh, The American President, um, you know, and he's also done, you know, the West Wing uh, TV show where it's like this very, like, rapid fire, you know, back and forth kind of thing where you really have to pay attention. And, you know, but but Mamet is different in the fact that uh, you know, in Aaron Sorkin's writing, um, he's kind of like leading you along where Mamet, you're still trying to figure out like where these, you know, the characters motivations like really truly lie. Like, are they really being like loyal? Or are they really being a bad guy? Is this a good guy or a bad guy? And he never really paints that picture for you like right away. And so it's it's kind of like up to you to kind of figure out like what's going on. And it makes it like very real because you feel like you don't know whose side to like really believe 
um, and who's really, you know, the, the bad person or the good person, just like it would be like in, in real life, like in real life, we don't have like, you know, bad villains and good people. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah. it's not yeah, as easy to pick out mon- it's very much a gray area, you know? Yeah. Pe- people don't monologue in real life. The, 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 they don't set up plots in real life. Yeah. You know, they don't stop and say, here's what's going on, you know, because, because if you're, if you're part of a situation, you likely know what's going on already. Yeah, you're not gonna have someone who's gonna stop and say, "Okay, here's who this person is," because you know who this person is. You you know your your you know your role in things already. If you're in the situation, mm-hmm. and that's something that 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 Mamet does very well is he just kind of puts you as a fly on the wall when when this character enters the situation. But the the character, the main character, Val Kilmer's character, he knows all the principles in the film already. Like mm-hmm. he knows who everyone is. So he, he, there's no moments where they stop and say, "Okay, this guy is the head of the FBI, or this guy's the head of the Secret Service." Yeah, because he knows that already. You, he does, no one would stop and say, "Oh, I'm the head of the Secret Service." Like yeah. so often in movies, they'll have moments where characters will literally not talk like real people, just to, so they have to get out some little bit of exposition to explain the plot. Yeah, and Mamet does away with all that because the characters know what's going on; they don't need it re-explained to them. I, I really love. Where you really get to see, uh, you know, Val Kilmer's character is is uh, John or Robert Scott. I don't know. Sometimes he goes by Robert. Sometimes he goes by John. But it's like, um, but he, um, you, know, you know, is the scene where they're interrogating somebody. They're interrogating this, uh, you know, Secret Service person who was uh, supposed to be there to watch over uh, the daughter. Like he was, he was on watch. Where, you know, she gets abducted or whatever. And so they're interrogating mm-hmm. him. And so they're, you know, basically he gets pulled aside and said, hey, can you do basically like, hey, can you do your thing? He's like, yeah, I do my thing. And they go in and he just like basically like beats the crap out of the guy. You know what I mean? It's just like, OK, that's what he's here to do. Like he's here to do yeah. like the dirty work that they can't do because these are, a, you know, real government officials. And he's kind of like the. You know, like the almost semi rogue, you know, sort of spooked yeah. there to do whatever is called to to be done. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. One thing that's interesting about that scene is he also lies the entire time. Like part of that, he's beating the guy up. He's claiming to be someone he's not in that scene. He's basically yeah. saying, "I know you're lying because I was there." Yeah. Even though he wasn't there. Exactly. You know, and he because when they're they're certain that the guy is lying. They just need they see him to to, to they they want him to think that they know. They, they they know he's lying and they have proof that he that they, that, that that they know even though they don't. Mm-hmm. So he basically so Val Kilmer's character basically lies to imply that they have proof that they don't to basically get the guy to crack. Yeah, and the, the, and it's full of things like that. Like they they never say, "Hey, would you lie to this guy and pretend like you know what's going on?" Yeah, so that we can get him to admit that he's right. lying. They to don't us. they don't they, they don't give him specific instructions like, "Hey, do do A, B, and C." They just said, you know, like, "Hey, can you go talk to him?" Okay, yeah, I'll figure it out. And then like he just, <laughs> I mean, that's what's so great. The same thing with yeah. the madam. I mean, it does a does the same thing with the. Uh, you know the 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 guy that he interrogates like after that and the the you know the madam um yeah it's yeah. It, it's just it's so great how he um you know goes into it's almost like um like if if James Bond were like real like that's what he would be doing right yeah exactly and what, and I guess that scene with with the with the secret service guy gives you a good example of how it does a lot of of implying the details like at this point you, you know that someone's been kidnapped you know it's someone's daughter but you don't know who it is. But when they bring up this guy was on her, when they say this guy was protecting her, that he was guarding her, and they mention Secret Service, you go, oh, it's the president's daughter. That's who's missing. But uh-huh. they never once stop and say, 
you know, the president's daughter's missing, you know? No. They just say, you know, they never yeah. want to say that in the film, you know? No. I think she is, they, yeah. I think she is referred to as the first daughter at one point. So maybe that's But not at that point in the film. Definitely not. I right. mean, l- later on, they, they get more overt with it in places. Mm-hmm. But they never once come out and say, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, yada, yada, yada. Right. You know, it's just, they, they, they give you, they give you pieces unless you put the pieces together. Right. Like, like, like those great seventies films, like the conversation. Right. Where but, you get to draw your own connections. But, but my, my point is too, is like, that's when you understand a movie and watch the movie, you have to understand, like, there's a part where, you know, he's just playing his role and playing his part in the investigation. Really in charge of the investigation is, uh, Ed O'Neill who plays Robert Birch, right? He's like the head of the the Secret Service or head of this thing. Um, and also, like, one of the lieutenants is a guy that I love uh, as an actor. His name is Clark Gregg. Um, and he plays Agent Miller. And everybody knows him as Agent Phil Coulson uh, from the Marvel series. Um, but, but see, that's the thing. It's like Val Kilmer, like John Robert Scott, he's just playing his part. And there's a part where he gets, like, cut off where they basically stop the investigation and then like basically say, okay, well to do what we need to do to go to Dubai to get this like first daughter is too dangerous of a mission. So we're just going to call it and say that she's dead. Right. And yeah. you know, so cause they were gearing up to go to Dubai and then they were like, no, the news finally got a hold of it. So they basically, you know, cause they, they knew they had a limited amount of time before the brass got a hold of the story. But then after that, he gets pulled back in by, you know, one of the the new recruits um, to kind of, like, make the decision of, like, do I really, you know, because really the president's daughter is still, like, in danger uh, or, you know, you know, what do I do? Like, do I just go back and just do what I'm told or do I, you know, actually carry this thing through and, and try to help somebody? Well, and there's actually a bit of mystery involved with the film too. I mean, I don't want to go into too much, too, too many spoilers. So I want people to watch this film because um, I, I love this movie. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely a bigger conspiracy at play in the story, and that's that's part of what's revealed as it goes along, right? Um, and so again, so much of it is just kind of it kind of it kind of weaves and un- unravels in places to give you an idea of how how big the story is. But one thing I love about it is, like I said, it never holds your hand, and I think this may be, you know, this is up there with being about one of Val Kilmer's best roles. Well, I mean, everyone talks about, you know, you know, Tombstone where he played Doc Holliday yep. or Real Genius or yep. Top Gun. No one talks about this movie. And I think this movie is as good of part for him as either of those other two films. He, he yeah. is so badass in this film. He has so many great lines. Yeah. He, he is a different character. I mean, it's, it's Val Kilmer, but he's not, you know, he's not Iceman. He's not. Uh, you know, the real genius character. I mean, he is uh, this John Robert Scott guy, uh, you know, special agent. And, you know, he never really, you never really know where he's going. You never really know what his next move is going to be. You never, you know, you kind of get an idea, but you don't really. You're just like kind of being a fly on a wall, kind of watching everything uh, sort of unfold. Because this guy, I mean, he's a real like badass special agent, you know what I mean? Like the, the most badass special agent, which is why he gets to, you know, why he's the top guy that they call or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's really awesome. And yeah, there's all sorts of weird twists. And and also the first daughter, like we said, is played by Kristen Bell. So yeah, he has to go rescue her in, in Dubai where, you know, 
Um, so, but it, I mean, it's it's a riveting like 106 you know minutes to watch from start to finish because you never really know where you're going to go because there are these like twists and and conspiracies as you say and then William H Macy shows up at like the end of it <laughs> which well, is also you know, kind of weird right like you well, never really see him and then until the end you know when I, he's actually he's actually in the early scenes too, but yeah. it goes back to the idea kinda that in the background like a, though. You know what I mean? He yeah. kind of was there, but yeah. then he's you know yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, but 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 again, that's again that's kind of a mammoth thing where he like he's he's not going to stop and monologue about who he is. You know, uh, mm-hmm. he's just a key, but he's a member of this of this world that he becomes important later on in the story for whatever reason. But he's there in the background. But the movie's not going to stop to draw your attention to the fact that William H Macy's playing this particular character until it until it matters in the story, because you don't always realize that people are going to matter at some point in your life until they do. Mm-hmm. Um, which is uh, which I always like because it doesn't draw your attention to the fact that he's there, mm-hmm. but but he is there, and and when it matters, he matters. Mm-hmm. But it, but it doesn't it doesn't make a big deal out of him being there until it has to be a big deal. Yeah, and I I really like there's a uh, like a girl character uh, who, you know, when she's there, he she's always asking for more. She's always asking for, hey, can I go with you? Or, hey, I want, you know, I want to be a part of this. Can you get me in? And he's always like, no, no, no. But then when he goes rogue, he's like, you know, he needs her. And like, she's the, you know, she's the person uh kind of at the end where you see like rescue the the first daughter or whatever. Yeah, like like it implies that he kind of has her own story that's going parallel with the story we're watching. Right. And uh and again but it, it it's not really like, it's not like there's anything missing. You don't you don't feel her absence from the film. It just feels natural cuz people come and go from your life. Mm-hmm. They do. And right. uh like like there's a scene where 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 the where the, where the young trainee that that's working with Valkyrie in the movie is explaining um well, no, they're they're walking, uh, talking to each other, mm-hmm. and Val Kilmer asks him why he's wearing why he's wearing a ring, and the guy starts to explain it, and, he, and Val Kilmer stops and goes, "Do I need to know this?" Mm-hmm. He goes, "Do I need to know this? If I, if I want camaraderie, I join the Masons, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, he wasn't there for a small talk. Like, he was, yeah, yeah. So because because again, the the personal details don't matter. What matters is the mission. What matters is the meat of the story, mm-hmm. and that, that that to me that that line is indicative of so much of Mammoth's work. Um, or else, how you feel about him as a person, he understands that you got you can trim away a lot of the fat in narrative films, mm-hmm. and it can make can make it much more propulsive, much more lean, and it can just hurtle forward in a way that feels not not only dramatic and impactful, yeah. but very much like real life, which is kind of unusual because real life is anything but. Right, but he can combine the idea of of being cinematic, but still feeling natural, but naturally right. heightened. If that's well, that yeah. makes any sense, because because the the character of of John Scott or whatever or Robert Scott, I don't know, because it's credited as John slash Robert Scott. Just, just yeah, he so gives you know. different names. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, because uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter what his name is. Right, you know? but but that character Val Kilmer's character is written in a way. That's not like John McClane kind of, you know, this John Wayne cool, but he's not like a complete like, you know, jerk either. He's kind of like just I'm here to get S done. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that that 
that uh, one particular thing like explains it in such a concise manner that you really, you know, from that point forward, like you understand his character. You know what I mean? So even that just one piece of dialogue explains so much about him. And I think that's why it's like, it, like you said, it's just so beautifully written um, because you don't need a whole lot of, you, you know, you don't need a whole lot of stuff. And, and, and that's yeah, it the, right the, there. The, right. Yeah, there's there's quite a few bits of dialogue, especially in the very beginning, that kind of right. establish that. There's one bit of dialogue that I love that that I use all the time to sell people on this movie, where he's talking to he's talking to to, to, to the girl who wants to be on his team. He he meets her at the training camp where she's an instructor, and he says, "So so what do they have you teaching here, young sergeant?" And she and she goes, "Knife fighting, sir." And he goes, "Knife fighting, huh? Don't teach them knife fighting. Teach them how to kill. That way, if they meet some poor bastard who's studied knife fighting, they can send his soul to hell." Yeah, and uh, wow. and yeah. but but if you think about that what that means, harsh, it, yeah. yeah, but it goes back to the idea, you know, don't worry about the fanciness of it. Do what you have to do and move on. Right. And yeah, I mean that's kind of that's kind of the ethos of the film. You know, don't worry about flourishes. Don't worry about style. Don't worry mm-hmm. about like unnecessary things. Don't worry about like dancing around. Just do. Yeah, I mean, in in, in every scene that he's in where there's action. Uh, you know, somebody that he knows, and I won't say, you know, I won't try to spoil it, like gets shot. I mean, and, and it's not like he sits there and, and cries and like is in shock about it. He's just like, he kind of knows that like when you go into a dangerous situation, like dangerous things are going to happen. And he just like kind of moves on, you know, there's it's, only it's really, there's only really one scene, I think, where he like kind of shows some weakness. And that's when he's, um, you know, he's pinned back, uh, you know, in by the by the boathouse or whatever, or by the house. And they're they're shooting at him like there's a sniper fire, and you know where he's like really pinned down. But it's only because he's starting to realize that this is part of like a bigger thing. This is like uh, kind of like a bigger conspiracy uh, that you know that that happens or whatever. That 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 there's much more going on than meets the eye than he even knows about. So, but. Either, either which way. I mean, I think that it's, you know, it's a great movie. I, you know, made me think of movies like, uh, like Patriot Games and like all these other stories, but like, so, I mean, there's so much more, you know, uh, sort of to it, um, than that. And it's still, uh, I mean, it kind of has you on the edge of your seat, almost the whole, like I said, 106 minutes. Well, one thing I like about it, because uh, it feels like there's so much to it, even though it's a simple story. And the reason it feels like there's so much to it is because so much of it is left up to your to, up to your own imagination. Yeah. Um, because and it, it's because it, it it doesn't it doesn't fill in all the blanks for you. So it it allows you to kind of ponder and pontificate about these characters in this world, and it makes it feel it makes it feel much more alive than if everything was spelled out for you. Because again. Life is not fully spelled out, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you, sometimes you wander into you wander in situations when you, when you meet new people, and you have to kind of pick up things through context clues, mm-hmm. and that's what this movie is. That's mm-hmm. what the next movie is too, which yeah. we'll get to in a second. So and that's why that's why they're great. I mean, I mean, I yeah. think that's one thing that they're because they're they're such they're such they they feel like they're going to be typical action films or typical tough guy films, but the way they're presented. Makes them so much more than that through mm-hmm. their stylistic choices, right? And yeah, you realize how much more is going on behind the scenes more than uh, than just what you see on the surface. Any uh, any scenes that you would 
like fast forward through or like you didn't really like or not a one. Not I, a one. I, I, I adore this movie. I yeah. honestly do. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's uh almost flat out perfect uh, myself. Uh, the one scene I would savor though, rewind and, and watch again. Um, I don't know if it's the same scene that you have, but uh, I really like where, where they set up um, the, the gas station thing um, where they get the, get the two guys out of prison or whatever. And, and he, he's like, you know, walks in and he's like, you know, saying shush and they're all like inside, like it's all like a stage deal. That was like so cool. And I was just like, holy crap. Like this is all like, cause you don't know that it's staged. You as an audience member don't know it's staged until you're kind of in the middle of it. And you're just like, oh gosh, this is like some crazy stuff going on right now. You know what I mean? And I thought that was really, really cool. That was one of my favorite scenes. I, I I love I love so many scenes in this film. Uh, my favorite thing about Spartan really is the dialogue. And I like I said, I almost wish this show we, we could swear more on the show. <laughs> I know we again we keep it PG thirteen because so many of the great oh. quotes are, are 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 riddled with f bombs, unfortunately. Right. And uh, and I, I savor all these bits of dialogue. I mean, there's uh-huh. so many great things. Like like there's like there's one scene where where a character gets hurt, mm-hmm. and he's like he's like. A, I'm I'm sorry I, I effed up. I was just trying. He goes, I'm sorry. I was I was just trying to help. I effed up. And Valerie Kilmer goes, that's usually that usually is when people f up. And, you know. Oh right. Yeah. Little things like that. Just there's there's these great bits of dialogue, and I'm not going to go through so many of them. But the movie is literally littered with just amazing nuggets of a badass dialogue. Right. That just I don't know. They they get me so. It just, I love it so much. To me, to me, the language of Spartan is much like again with Ronan, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But mm-hmm. the language of the the coded language, like this kind of implied dialogue, mm-hmm. where again, what's more important is what's not said than what's said. I'm just so in love with so it, really everything about it. Yeah. I mean, I I really do think it's the movie's about perfect. I every time I watch it, mm-hmm. I have to stop and think. Is this the the greatest, most badass movie I've ever seen? Oh yeah, I, I have that moment with it every time I watch it. And, oh yeah, and uh, it's always a joy to go back to. Right. It wasn't uh, Kristen Bell's first movie. Uh, it was like her one, two, three, four. It's like her fifth movie. But yeah, she still didn't have like that many lines, and she's just playing like a uh really, really kind of messed up kind of kind of character. So. You know, yeah, it was the first time I remember seeing her was in this film. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, one of her first early ones, though, for sure. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I didn't even know she was in the movie, and I was like, oh, that's Kristen Bell. Okay, that's yeah. well, I, 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 I love giving you these things with no context. Like, oh, yeah, hey, yeah. We're, we're gonna watch this, you know, because oh, yeah. I mean, that's the, the, but that's the best way to watch movies, believe no, it or not. It is. It, know, it really is. Know nothing about them. Yeah, I used to. I mean, watching trailers is uh, is one thing, but it's also, I think, it's, you know, spoilers. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I love. I actually do enjoy watching movies where I there's no context. And that that also means that like there's no sort of expectation bias either. Like you just get to watch and enjoy it. And I really, you know, I really like this movie. I really like uh, watching it and enjoying it. And if you, you know, like movies like, um, you know, like the Born Identity series or like Patriot Games or any of the Jack Ryan uh, movies, you you love Spartan too. So uh, it's it's yeah. one I think that I mean it it 
it uh budget was 23 million box office was 8.11 million so didn't make a whole lot of money no it didn't um yeah. it's in 2004 where that's sort of like the beginning of the end of the the video store era so yeah definitely i think it's uh it's worth um worth a watch uh yeah. if it's out there it still holds up very well um for, for yeah, being in 2004 and not to get too out of sequence for how we normally do this, but yeah, it's a movie that's actually pretty easy to come by nowadays. It's it's usually available on like free ad supported streaming sites like Tubi or Vudu with ads for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to see without ads, because if you're a cinema purist like myself, uh, you can get it for only four dollars in HD mm. on any streaming platform. Like you can buy it on Amazon, Vudu, uh, iTunes. Yeah, and this is not YouTube. rent. This is like buy, right? Yeah, you can get it in 1080p for literally four dollars. I mean, and that's own it, I mean, like in your Amazon like locker or whatever. Yeah, that that's that's a great price for this amazing movie. It really is. I mean, four dollars is nothing, you know. Yeah, I spend more than four dollars on lunch every day, almost. So you know, <laughs> yeah, worth yeah, definitely worth uh, evening of entertainment for sure. All right, so let's move on to to Ronin. This was in 1998. Also, I mean, I remember watching Ronin. Like, you know, this was during, you know, my friends like working at the video store days and in college. And I absolutely love this movie. Um, it's one of my favorite action films. And without having a lot of action in it, it's um, there's a lot of like espionage. There's a lot of like stuff going on, just like in, you know, like in Spartan, but kind of in a different way. Uh, it's almost like, um, you know, you have these hired group of guns, like these these Ronins, like we talked about, like. And they're all supposed to get this, like, you know, something in this case or whatever. Uh, yeah, but it's then, a, then it's a, it's a very it's a very definition of what we talked about before. It's a very definition of a, of, a, of a MacGuffin. MacGuffin. You know, it is. Case. It is the literal definition of a MacGuffin. I think like the closest yeah. one. I think that you we, we yeah. could find right. Yeah. yeah so and it, it's but then after that you realize that it's not really about the MacGuffin. It's really about the people associated with the MacGuffin. Because there's some people in there that like do double crossing, but then they're trying to get to this other, uh, you know, bad guy that that really is, you know, hired the whole group um, or whatever. Uh, and you realize it just have to do with the Irish Republican Army or whatever. But one thing I wanted to mention in the beginning of this movie, um, that it, it plays like a little quote, and I want to read this quote because we talked about you know Ronan. Uh, a minute ago about what it means, but this is what the movie says, like the text of the movie when it first starts. In feudal Japan, the warrior class of samurai were sworn to protect their liege lords with their lives. Those samurai whose liege was killed suffered a great shame, and they were forced to wander the land, looking for work as hired swords or bandits. These masterless warriors were no longer referred to as samurai. They were known by another name, such were such men were called Ronin. So, and, and that's basically all the characters in the film. They kind of imply that that every one of our main characters at, at one point was a military man or woman who's now no longer affiliated with their country's military. They they basically have all gone rogue for whatever reason, yeah. and they're just mercenaries now working for whoever will pay them. Mm-hmm. Like often, there's this, and again, much like with, much like with uh, Spartan, for obvious reasons, which we'll get into. A lot of what's explained about the characters is is in what's not said. Mm-hmm. Like often, the, the, someone asks De Niro's character, uh, "Have you ever done this before, or have you seen this before?" And he goes, "He'll go, I don't, re- I don't remember." And they ask him, "Who trained you?" And he goes, "I don't remember." You know, right? Yeah, 
You know, or if, or if, he, if he runs into someone he knows, he goes, where did you know that guy from? He goes, oh, I, I knew him in high school, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. He, he didn't really give away too much or, or whatever. Like, he just says, like, just enough. Um, it was directed by John Frankenheimer, who also directed The Manchurian Candidate, uh, Grand Prix, French Connection 2, uh, Reindeer Games. Um, and then also, this is the weird connection that you and I didn't even know that David Mamet actually co-wrote this movie. Mm-hmm. And he did it under pen name, which blew my mind. I can't believe I didn't know that until I started researching this. Yeah, well, apparently it was written by John David uh, Zeke. But, um, yeah, somehow, I don't know why David Mamet would, would, would put a uh, pen name on it because apparently I think that he was called in uh, to write some of the dialogue or whatever. I feel like he rewrote most of the dialogue. If you, if you, <laughs> yeah, if you, I think if you, so. If you watch it, I mean, stylistically, it's so similar to Ronin. Yeah. And how, and how it handles things. You know, and the one thing I love about this movie is all of the great car chases in this movie. Oh, they're phenomenal. I th- think this was maybe the last great true practical car chase film. Oh, my God. Uh, at least yeah. to come out of America. Like, yes. there's these scenes where they're, they're, they're driving through the streets of, of, uh, of Europe and uh, they're just they're going against traffic at one point they're, and they're dodging and weaving mm-hmm. while driving against traffic and it's just it's just jaw dropping mm-hmm. you know movie making I, I I watch it even now and I've seen it probably I've seen this movie probably five six times and I never quite understand how they do it and it well, it's just unreal to me it looks so realistic that they're not really using like jumps or explosions or you know, like they're not using any special equipment to make the cars look like they're doing something that they shouldn't, right? Like jumping over a big thing and then just like landing perfectly and going on. Like everything looks very, very real. And it's also almost like in real time. And, you know, you hear the, the they use like the real engine sounds of these, these, uh, you know, production cars and not really like, you know, sub in some other, you know, sound of a car or whatever. And, and you really feel like you're in the car, like being jostled around or like looking and stuff. So it's, it's very well um, put together and, and really awesome. And I know a lot of car culture movies like love this, you know, love this movie as well for that reason. Well, yeah, it's not exaggerated. This is not a, this is not a fast and the furious kind of situation. No, like it's just like part it of the action very real and very yeah. tense. Right, and the movie isn't about the car chases, but it's just like the car chases are just like that is part of the action that is so great about the movie. Yeah, yeah and speaking of the action, like when there are gunfights in, in the movie, they're handled very realistically, and the gunfights are very tense again because it feels very it feels very real. I mean, it's not reality, of course, but it's, it's not presented with the same exaggeration that you normally see with like. Hollywood action, mm-hmm. uh, and this is this is one of Frankenheimer's last films. It may have even been his last film, uh, but what a way to kind of wrap up his career. Yeah, I mean he's he's made a lot of great films, but this may be his best film. It, it's it's so great mm-hmm. and it's so well made and it's so well acted. Like every character, every actor just nails their character. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're saying there's so many great great lines of dialogue, mm-hmm. and it's beautifully shot, and yeah. the story is. Even even though again the story's not really about it's, it's all about this unknown entity that doesn't really end up mattering. Mm-hmm. It's just the plot is so propulsive and it mm-hmm. moves so well, and it never stops being like this intense kind of burly sort of manly experience. Mm-hmm. That it's just, it's just it's just such great action filmmaking. Yeah, 
Well, I think it's one of uh, Robert De Niro, one of my favorite Robert De Niro movies. Uh, so yeah, he plays this American missionary, formerly associated with the CIA. Uh, say his name again, Jean Renault. Jean Renault. Uh, who was also yeah. in, like, people know him from The Professional. Uh, he plays, yeah. uh, you know, Vincent, a French gunman who befriends Sam. And they, they have a nice, you know, friendship between them two. This this kind of camaraderie that they have together, that they're like kind of like equal, like you're the American equal to what I am and that sort of thing. They have this kind of uh, camaraderie yeah. together. And then there's like, uh, you know, you mentioned Sean Bean. And he plays kind of a funny kind of character where he's he seems like he's a, a forgotten character from Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> where he's this like gung ho Englishman who's like way in over his head with this stuff, yeah. right? Like he can't, they, they kind of ca- he's kind of cast against type because by having Sean Bean there, you're going to think he's going to be like this grizzled, like hard nosed, like like badass. And one of the great reveals in the movie is he's the most inept one of the entire group, and he ends up being. The biggest screw up, mm-hmm. and even he ends up getting thrown out, you know, a third of the way into the film because he can't handle the tension of it all. Right, and that's I thought that was a great bit of casting, because you, you assume because it's Sean Bean, he's going to be in there just trading like tough guy barbs with, with De Niro and Jean Reno, and he's really not. He's completely outclassed the entire time, and it's really a great little weaselly performance from Bean because he he is such the guy who thinks they're badass mm-hmm. but really isn't. Oh yeah, and I love how he yeah. even throws his like English accent to make it seem like he's kind of like from uh, West London or something like that. Where he's like, "That's yeah. right, we got it, my my." like, <laughs> you know, because he thinks that like yeah. he's the one who draws him into the to the bridge into that dangerous situation. But then, yeah. you know, when he gets away from the situation, he's like, yeah, that's right. And we got the money and we got everything. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. everybody's like looking at him like, shut the hell up, dude. You got to you, say you, you're the one who screwed you this moron, whole thing yeah, up, right? Yeah. yeah. You got us yeah. into this stupid mess. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 great character. And then uh, uh, Stellan Skarsgård, uh, you know, plays like the tech specialist Gregor, uh, Natasha... McHone plays Deirdre. Uh, who, I've ne- who I've never seen anything else, but she's really oh. wonderful in this. I mean, she's great here. Yeah, she almost like steals the – I don't want to say steal. I mean, nobody really like outplays each other, I don't think. Everybody – you know, we talked about this kind of in the pre-show that like it's so beautifully cast. All of these people like really, you know, play to the part and play to the movie and don't really like scene steal at all. You know, and and I think that there was a nice real playoff between you know uh, this Deirdre character and and Sam. You know, they almost had this like kind of almost like budding relationship, kind of like underneath the surface. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was. It's a. Uh, yeah, there's so many good one thing. Is, like I said, it's not. So what's really this movie is about? It's about the relationship. So and that's what makes it a different kind of action film. Because most action films aren't concerned with the way the characters relate to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's really what Ronan's most concerned with. Mm-hmm. And that's, to me, when you add that in there with with the great Mamet dialogue, that's, again, it's all about what's not said. Mm-hmm. You put those two things together, it's got such a great flavor. And it's it's such a unique film. I wish there were more films like Ronan. I wish there were yeah. more films like Spartan. Yeah. But they're not, and that's a shame. Yeah. But it makes these two that much more special. Right. Totally, totally, totally. Um, but yeah, that is a weird, like kind of dynamic between like Sam and Deidre because they have to like, because they're, you know, doing surveillance and stuff like that. And 
there's kind of some scenes where they have to kind of play like that they're a couple and that like kind of really gets them entwined, you know, sort of together uh, or whatever. Um, and then, uh, uh, but then also you have uh, another guy, Jonathan Price, like show up, you know what I mean? Like talk about a, another yeah. like big actor um, as, as the guy kind of behind the scenes is this Seamus O'Rourke, guy, uh, you know, character. Yeah. To me, Jonathan Price, while he while he does good work in the film, his parts where I start to kind of think the movie falls apart just a little bit because it starts having to explain some of the things, right? And it it, it becomes a more traditional thriller at that point. Yeah, and I mean while 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 it's good, it's just not as good as the stuff that came before it. You yeah. know? Yeah, and, like yeah by the like yeah like by the time they get to the uh you know near the end where they're at the the arena or whatever. Uh, the plot gets very thick, very quickly, you know, and yeah. very sort of back and forth and you don't really know which way it's going to like really end up. And you almost like, I remember having to watch that, you know, watch the ending and try to rewind it and go, well, what's happened? Who has the case? Who, what's happening? Like what, you know, cause everything happens like so very quickly at the end. And I think that maybe the writers like, uh, kind of like wrote it at the end and kind of like, okay, how are we going to wrap all this up? We have all this action to get through, and it's kind of like, okay, we'll just write da, 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 da. like all this stuff happens, you know. Well, and it's uh, you, you could feel I I got a feeling that Mamet didn't have a lot to do with the very end of the film or or the way the plot was structured. Yeah, I felt like he mostly had to. I felt like he probably did a lot of the dialogue work. Yeah, but as far as the way the plot goes and then the way it all wraps up, I don't think he had all to do because it's a lot more it's a lot more clunky yeah. than Spartan. Well, I think and uh, well, I think maybe they thought that. Because you went through all of this, there had to be another. There had to be like a crescendo or whatever, right? Yeah. Like it had but to be another they, another note. Like we've had all these car chases, and now we have to have this kind of people chase and kind of like a you know. Yeah. Well, there's like a scene where where Jean Reno gets shot, and you think he's dead at the end, but then mm. he pops back up at the last second to save De Niro. Mm-hmm. And they don't really explain how he gets to where he is to save De Niro. Mm-hmm. It becomes very kind of Hollywood. And it's I mean it's still good. I mean the movie. I mean honestly, I love the movie. I I mean I'd give it four. I give it four and a half stars if 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 you were asking me. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. But it but it just becomes a, a little a little typical at the end. Okay. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Like by like by the end, and also, and this is a good way to kind of segue into the the what parts would you fast forward through? Mm-hmm. At, at the end, they do a lot of exposition exposition dumping where they kind of kind of try to wrap everything up. Right. They also explain a lot of who these characters are at the very end, like yeah. who Seamus is, what, what the, how, like how, what his what his whole plot was trying to do. Yeah, not necessarily what's in the case, but they kind of have this voiceover of like a news broadcast, kind of explain things at the end. I but that's I, that's I, what that's one of my favorite parts. But I wish there wasn't that. You know, I, I kind of like that because it's kind of uh, I like that voiceover part. Not that it explains all of it. But, I mean, you kind of get the idea because we hear these news stories all the time, and it's kind of like, but we never know all these inner workings of everything that goes on behind the scenes. And I think that even though that it explains a little bit, kind of like when, you know, to me, when Seamus comes out of hiding and kind of like takes over from behind, I I just didn't really like that at all, you know, where he like slashes, uh, what's the guy's name, Larry, like the driver, and like, you know kind of you know kills him and then like takes over and like he's gonna 
do all this stuff. I mean, I, I just thought that that was kind of unnecessary. Like that didn't really yeah. need to happen. And well, and you could have had like a lot more, and you could have still kept it kept a lot more secret stuff, and then still had kind of like that that news story over the end. Because I think that once he kind of came out of hiding, it kind of explained a lot more, which we really didn't need. Yeah, it just like I said, it becomes way more like a typical Hollywood thriller. It loses a little bit of what makes it special, but it only loses a little bit. Like it's still a phenomenal movie, right? But it's just a little bit. It's a little bit of tarnish on it mm-hmm. there, there, there towards the end. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I still think it's great. I still think it's a modern classic. Yeah. But that's why if I had to put if I had to compare these two, I think I I put I would put Spartan above Ronan by just a little bit because Spartan doesn't do that. Mm. Uh, I, I love them both dearly, but I mean that's like that's my one thing with Ronan is I don't like a lot, a lot of the, how that plays out towards the end. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of that stuff is kind of my fast forward stuff. I see. Now as far as savoring, I mean, like ninety percent of the rest of the movie, I think is just phenomenal. Right. Like I think it's just some of the best movie making you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, really, just so much stuff. I mean, the car chases, the gunfights. Like 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 the the opening diner scene where all the characters are introduced. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all so good. Yeah, like I can't recommend like, this movie enough. Well, I mean, even when even when De Niro, like even Sam, sets up that scene where he's in the hotel and like sets up that fake scene, you know, where he's like, "Oh, get a picture of me and you know me and my wife," and you know he's having like the 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 other guy take all of his you know security surveillance surveillance photos i mean i was just like gosh this is like brilliant stuff this is like fantastic and it's like even even that's just like interesting to watch because it's so uh it you know you don't really you know know what's going on he doesn't explain that's what he's gonna do you're just like watching it happen and watching all this fun stuff happen um same thing with the the car chases and stuff like you don't know what's gonna happen they're going through these uh streets of paris or whatever it was like uh, unbelievable uh, speeds or whatnot. Um, and, but one of my other, one of my favorite scenes though, one of my absolute favorites is when we talk about, um, you know, Spence, the kind of like the Englishman who, uh, you know, was this firearm specialist who's kind of a fraud where Sam, like after they do the weapons, you know, buying and it goes sour, uh, you know, Sam challenges him and, you know, all this stuff. and, and, and says, well, where do you come from? What do you know? What blah 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 blah. And he sets up. He secretly sets up where he's gonna like accidentally spill coffee on the guy. And you know he's you know at the end he's like, yeah, I just assaulted you with a cup of coffee. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, like like if you were actually aware of your surroundings, that never would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was yeah. absolutely fantastic. You know, and he's you know because he asked him like what what color is the flag at like whatever harbor you know. And then, like later, you were supposedly stationed there. Yeah, yeah. and then the, then later on, like you see, you know, uh, Gregor asks him, "What color is the flag?" And he goes, "How am I supposed to know?" Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's much like that that interrogation scene in Spartan. You know, he's just he's he's aware that the guy's a fraud. He just he he's just he's just giving him enough rope to hang himself. Basically, yeah. he's giving him enough so he can out himself as being the liar he is. Right, and you know, because both these movies. Are, are honestly clever. And so many movies try to be clever and they're not. Mm-hmm. These movies are truly clever. And it's so it's so fun to watch movies like that where you're like, oh, wow, that's so creative. Or, wow, I never would have thought of that. Mm-hmm. And it feels like watching, again, one of the joys of these kind of movies is watching characters be 
much like with the conversation in sneakers, watching characters be hyper competent at what they do is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that's great about both these films. If you're watching two, two, two sets of characters who are really, really good at what they do, mm-hmm. doing what they're really, really good at, you yeah. know, and it's just, it's so, it's so fun to watch. Yeah. Why, uh, do you think you could, uh, stitch this up? Uh, I think I'm going to pass out now. <laughs> yeah. uh, just, I mean, just absolutely great dialogue. Oh yeah, yeah, um, just a great, yeah. It's got, it's got one of the great self surgery scenes. Like, yeah. I love a good self surgery scene in an action movie where a guy has to stitch himself up and where somebody Roland's has to get the get, in it. Yeah. yeah, get the bullet out. I mean, just like absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah. And that other character that that in it, that's in it that like paints all the uh, miniatures. Uh, what's the guy's name? Um, I've never oh, seen him in anything. Michael else Lonsdale. That's Michael Lonsdale. He plays Jean Pierre, and uh, yeah, it's just a that's that's a great scene because it explains the whole thing. But what's weird about the whole movie is that it's called Ronan, but then you realize at the end that like he never really left the CIA, right? Like you know, it, it, you know, it's almost like a fraud kind of thing. <laughs> It's kind well, of funny. Again, but, yeah, again you're not sure. Like, like even, there's a little bit of voiceover from from Jean Reno at the end, which I'm positive that Mamet wrote, uh-huh. where Jean Reno goes, uh, "No questions, no answers." You know. Oh, right. And that's and that's kind that's kind of the movie. You know, like right. you don't ask questions, you don't get any answers. Well. So you just again, you just do. Right. Well, you just do. You, yeah. You know, your own omission, you do what you have to do. Right. Yeah, and I remember Jean uh, Reno. They're trying to figure out who he is. He goes. You know, he just makes a phone call and is done. You know, <laughs> yeah. he he's a guy who can get things. Yeah, he, you know, exactly. he's a guy, he's a guy who can get things in Paris, basically. Yeah. yeah, and I always love characters like that too, where he's like, you don't need to know how he knows all this stuff. You just know that he does. Yep. And I, I love things like that. I love this kind. Of, I love these kind of movies. These are some of my favorite kinds of movies, and these are two of the very best examples of those kind of of like men on a mission sort of films. Mm. Um. Again, I love these two movies so much. Like, there's, I mean, this is probably one of my favorite double features we've ever done on the show because I think oh. these two films are just phenomenal. Oh yeah, yeah, one one of my favorite too. I love uh, I love watching uh, Ronan. I've seen it several times, and uh, it was fun to discover Spartan as well. So, uh, you know, put another one on the on the list as um, you know one of these movies that these great Val Kilmer Val Kilmer movies that I didn't really even know uh, existed. He has such an underrated filmography, and it's it's so sad that his career is kind of wound down because of health reasons. Yeah, but Val Kilmer to me is one of the underappreciated greats, and uh, I love him to death, and I wish nothing but the best for him. Um, so, but let's yeah, I I completely agree, and and you know I wish uh, you know he would have been able to do more stuff, but um, you know uh, people's uh, you know our health is is what it is, and and you know you got to take care of yourself. So uh, let's get on to the notes. So in Spartan, Warner Brothers Pictures, the the, uh, the the U.S. distributor, briefly considered retitling the film Ranger after test marketing showed that people didn't understand the original name. A handful of trade publications had the film listed as Ranger on their release schedules, but in the end, Warner Brothers decided to stick with Spartan. Yeah, Ranger's a much worse title. Like, I actually yeah. remember when it was called Ranger. I remember seeing that in, like, like movie websites I'm glad, I'm glad they stuck with spartan spartan's a much better name yeah. it's more it's more it's more invocative anyway it at least gets you wondering about what you're going to watch yeah i don't think it's necessarily the the best title to me because it really doesn't tell you a whole lot i mean it it does like connect to this kind of like old 
world definition of Spartan and the new world definition of Spartan, but it's still um, it, it, it's not really like it doesn't really capture you of what the film is or, or what it's about. At least it's mysterious. Ra- Rangers to me just fits yeah. Ranger flat. is Ranger is bad. Yeah, it is very flat. I agree. Yeah. Uh, producer Art Linson and David Mamet were having lunch where Linson was informing Mamet that he could uh, he could not get anything more than a no frills budget. So Val Kilmer was at the next table, and Kilmer was so impressed with the story and Mammoth's vision that Kilmer agreed to the role with significant discount to greenlight the film. Nice. Yeah, so that's how that's how he got involved. That's how stuff happens in Hollywood sometimes. Yeah, yeah, just having lunch. You know, it's such a, such a typical Hollywood kind of story. Right, you know, but, yeah. but I mean, it, it it happens. I mean, I'm not saying it happens every time, but I'm saying that, like, it happened this particular time. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I I really miss Val Kilmer as a movie star. I mean, uh, I'm so sad about what that his health. I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad that he's doing better, but he's he's at a point where he's never going to be a, a full time actor again, and that makes me sad because no. he's always had such a great presence, and he always, you know, even when he did like even when he, we, we, even when he was in lesser films, he always brought interesting things to the movies. Uh, Val Kilmer's character was inspired in part by real life U.S. Special Operations operative Eric Haney. Who served as technical consultant? So, um, I imagine he must be a tough dude. And political operative Ed Schuyler has praised the film for its realism regarding the inner workings of the Washington elite. Um, the line "One riot, one ranger" is said to be of Texas Rangers lore, and also appears in the 1987 neo noir House of Games, as well as the CBS TV show The Unit which was about secret military missions that was created both that was uh, created by David Mamet and also lists Eric Haney as the technical consultant. So if you liked, uh, you know, you know, Spartan, uh, you know, and maybe want more of that in like a TV show, um, I guess like this, this uh, show that, that aired, when did the unit air? It was like in the two thousands or something like that, right? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not much of a TV guy, so I don't know. But I, I'll go. Ch- I'm, I'm going to check that out myself because I, I didn't know about that. So yeah, it was. I'll uh, look that up myself. March two thousand six to May of two thousand nine, with a total of four uh, seasons and sixty nine episodes, and uh, focuses on a top secret military unit modeled after the real life U.S. Army Special Operations known as Delta Force. So it's, it's probably you can probably watch it on the CBS. Like I don't know, I you'd have to good old Paramount that. Plus. Yeah, that, that'll probably probably that'll probably change three times by the time this comes out. <laughs> but at the moment, that's called <laughs> Paramount Plus. Um, producer, uh, let's see, where was I at? I lost my film. I lost my place because I went to another uh, one browser. riot, one ranger, one riot, one ranger. The automatic. Okay, this is the coolest part. Uh, like the the coolest uh, bit of trivia that I found uh, about this film, and, and you'll like this too. Uh, the automatic knife used in the film is called the Spartan, and it's made by a company called Severtech and was designed specifically for the film. Um, the tactical knives are still made in hand in small batches, and you too can own one. Uh, you just go to severtechknives.com. So, well, I'm, I'm, I probably am going to do that. I actually need a new pocket knife, so I'm probably going to do that, actually. They're like, I had no idea you could buy the knife. Yeah, I'm probably going to get one. They're probably like, I think they're about $500. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you can't put a price on a really good knife. My last knife yeah. was two hundred dollars, so you okay. know you can't, you can't put a price on a good pocket knife. Yeah, apparently the guy and his dad, like he was like a, a machinist or whatever, and so he made them like by himself. And he actually has two uh, knives that he sells. One has a different uh, like sort of tip on the other one. Um, but yeah, you basically have to fill out a form and then they get back to you like on the price. But, um, it's a, they have the two knives. One is called the original mill bastard. Uh, and then one is called the, the Severtech Spartan. So yeah, you can, you can own that exact knife, which isn't that cool. I, I really do kind of want one now because I do need a new pocket <laughs> knife. I, I, I need a new spring loaded knife. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, it's it's, ever, it's it, just under four inches, so it's legal. So, but yeah, you you know, yeah. in the in the United States at least. But yeah, it's yeah. yeah. Uh, if you ever want to prove that this is a podcast by two guys who live in Tennessee, we just had a conversation about pocket knives. Pocket knives. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we, we 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 filled our hillbilly redneck question for for well, the entire run of the show. I think. well, it, it, and 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 really, I mean, I think these knives are made in like New Mexico or Arizona or something like that. I yeah. can't remember. It's made somewhere out west, but yeah, I thought that was really cool. I was like, I thought they were cool too because I really like the uh, that like the pattern that's like the swirly pattern that's yeah. cut in it and everything. Um, yeah, it's a really cool looking knife. All right. Uh, the Dubai house is actually – they used to, like, capture – the rescue um, president's daughter there or whatever uh, is actually in the Hollywood Hills and that features Moroccan-influenced architecture and was once owned by music legend Chuck Berry. Huh. To me, it's always amazing about how you can make things look like other places. Mm -hmm. I love that about film. That, to me, that's the real movie magic is, like, you can take something in the Hollywood Hills – and film it in a certain way, and boom, it's Dubai, you know? Uh, one of my, um, like, cousin-in-laws, uh, like, lives in L.A., and he's like, yeah, you can just drive around, and, and all of a sudden you'll just recognize something from somewhere. It's like, oh, that's yeah. where that is. Like, <laughs> this yeah. is kind of how, how it is uh, they can film on location. So, um, but yeah, I mean, and that's weird that it was owned by Chuck Berry, too. I thought that was strange. Uh, but it's yeah, fun, I'm, it's a fun detail. Yeah, I mean, and really, if you, uh, I remember that scene, and it was very dark when they shot that scene. So, I mean, that's how they kind of kept the rest of you know that sort of under wraps or whatever. So uh, it almost looks like the same house from Buckaroo Banzai, which might even be. It it does a little bit, yeah. Um, be strange if it was the same one. Uh, the budget was twenty three million. Like I said, box office was eight point eleven million. Roger Ebert gave this movie four stars. I can't stress how I think it's I think it's I think it's I think it's almost a lost classic. I mean, to me, it is a modern classic. It really is, and it's a movie that's that's so that's so underappreciated and so unknown. Mm -hmm. It's a shame. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, this that's, is the kind of movie that I wanted to I wanted to, to bring this. To, this is the kind of movie that maybe that I wanted to do this show for. Wow, was for for movies like this. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and that's four out of four. Remember. Uh, and yeah. Roger Ebert says the particular pleasure of Spartan is to watch the characters gradually define themselves and the plot gradually emerge like your face in a steamy mirror. You see the outlines. Then you see your nose. Then you see that somebody's standing behind you. Then you see it's you. So who's the guy in the mirror? Work with me here. I'm trying to describe how the movie <laughs> operates without revealing what it does. He's, he was such a good writer. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, nobody does, nobody writes dialogue like Mamet, and this is Val Kilmer's best performance since Tombstone. 
I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score 65% critics, 62% audience. I could see audiences being frustrated by it. Yeah, because it it doesn't hold your hand like a Die Hard movie or something like that, or like Patriot yeah. Games or Executive Decision or something like that. You know what I mean? It's not that yeah. kind of thriller. It's more of a yeah, it, it's more of a mystery thriller. I think. Mm-hmm. If you're patient, though, it is so rewarding. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, okay, so let's move on to Ronan. Uh, a total of 80 automobiles were destroyed during filming, and 300 stunt drivers were employed for the final chase, including uh, – there was one like F1 driver that they used for as a stunt driver as well. Uh, Skip Suddeth, who played like the, the driver um, in the film, his character's name was Larry. Just like a standard – who was named Larry in a movie? Who Anyway. <laughs> I mean, that's what I like about how, about about how uncinematic it is. Yes. Like, like it feels real. Yeah, yeah. His name's Larry. Like, who? No, he, he, it was our, probably our first Larry uh, character on the on video culture. Um, but anyway, Skip Suttis requested that his uh, he do his own stunt driving during the car chases, and John Frankenheimer agreed. Frankenheimer told Suttis, "I don't want to see any brake lights." <laughs> to yeah, uh, so keep your foot on the pedal, basically, uh, to make it look yeah. like Robert De Niro and Natasha McElhone, McElhone, I don't know how to pronounce, uh, were actually driving during the car chase. Right-hand drive cars were used, so they used you know like right-hand drive cars like in England or whatever, where they drive on the other side of the road. So, mm-hmm. um, so basically, what they did is they made a car with they they were actually right-hand drive. But then they put like controls on the left hand side that didn't do anything. They were just like steering wheel and like the dash. And so basically, uh, they mimicked like what the stunt driver was doing, you know, in the in the scenes. Yeah, and it's it's so simple, but it's but again, it's so clever. It like, is. I mean, like you you wouldn't think about it as you're watching it, but it's such a nice way of handling, it. and it really does feel like they're driving in every scene. It's mm-hmm. it's so wonderfully handled. Yeah, you wouldn't think about that. Like I never would have think thought about doing something like that. But I mean, I guess when you're in, you know, in Hollywood, and you got to do these special effects. Like you come up with your different ways of doing stuff, and they did a lot of stuff. They would use like half cut cars, um, you know, like on a trailer. Uh, you know, that sort of thing, where so they can get in cameras at different angles and stuff like that. Um, but Frankenheimer avoided using special effects in the car chase scenes. He pre-visualized them with storyboards and used the same camera mounts that he used on Grand Prix. And Grand Prix was done in what, like 68 or 69, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, it was a priority to also not cheat the speed by adjusting the frame rate. So, you know, films are in like 24 frames a second. So what they can do is they can like crank down the the frames and then like play it back or like, you know, kind of like double the frames uh to kind of stretch it out or you know, play it at at, at faster speeds uh to to make it make it faster, right? Like typical Hollywood thing. But they didn't want to slow it down past 20 because past 20 that's when you start your you know, your brain starts to realize like hey, these things are not happening at the the real speed. So uh, there were a few scenes that were slowed down to 21 or 22 frames per second, but not, none are slower, faster than 20 frames per second. 
Yeah, to me, I always find that stuff really fascinating because that's something that's really big in action filmmaking is the idea of of slowing down or speeding up film to create certain effects. Mm-hmm. And it's it's to me, it's always interesting to what what your brain registers as being right or wrong based on how many frames you're seeing at a time. Mm-hmm. That's some really heady movie nerd stuff yeah. that uh, it's probably too dry for our our, our audience, but I, I love it. I find it super yeah. fascinating for, for for the yeah for the movie that was for the movie Tech Geeks. So uh, so there you go. Frankenheimer yeah. also refused. Uh, you were talking about how real the gunfights, you know, looked, and Frankenheimer refused uh, to film the gunfights in slow motion, believing that the screen violence should be depicted in real time. So that was another thing that he did. Like it was all like this is how this really happened. So um, the the original script called for Sam chasing Gregor in the arena to stop at the railing. However, while shooting the scene, the stuntman accidentally toppled over the railing. Falling hard on the stone surface Barillo, so John Frankenheimer decided to leave the accident in the film. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that wasn't oh, yeah. supposed to happen? Well, oh well. It looks good. I, 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 lo- I love stories like that. I really do. Yeah. Uh, in a 2008 reader's poll conducted by Car Magazine, four cars featured in the movie merited ranking in the magazine's top 40 coolest movie cars issue. So think about that for a second. Forty out of out of forty cars, four of them made that list. Yeah, from one film. That's, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Uh, it yeah. was a Citroen XM, a Peugeot six hundred five, a BMW five thirty five i, and um, other uh, and that was three of them. Let's see, oh, and an Audi S eight. Uh, other other uh, cars featured in the film. Included a Peugeot 406, a Citroën Xanthia, and a rare Mercedes-Benz 450 SL 6.9. So that's all the yeah, stuff it, about cars. It's it's a low-key carhead movie. It really is. I mean, if 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 you're a gearhead, if you love cars, you're probably going to dig Ronin. Especially not like American cars, like, you know, Citroëns and Peugeots and, you know, Mercedes-Benz, BMWs, stuff like that. Uh, almost all the scenes were shot on location with the exception of two scenes. The opening scene used a set with the couple walking past the camera as the matching shot between the location and the set. The other one was a sequence between Sam and Vincent in the car right after the former was wounded. It was shot in front of a green screen. So, but you never really notice, Right. No, if you use that stuff, so if you use that stuff sparingly, it really blends well if if you do it right. Yeah, uh, I do know. What's funny is that they shot in you know all these like very pretty locations in 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 you know France and Italy, all this stuff. But to get, but it was all like you know, every it all seems like they were shot on a cloudy day, right? It was very muted colors yeah. and stuff, and so to create that uh, that you know. That look, uh, the art department was instructed to get props with muted colors, and in the crowd scenes, all the extras were not uh, allowed to wear any bright colored clothes. So interesting, yeah, that's why it kind of has this uh, very almost black and white sort of look to it. It's uh, got kind of a melancholy quality to it, yeah, yeah, like it's uh, all like it's about to rain or something, you know. Yeah, uh, the talk about the man in the wheelchair is referencing a book, The Born Identity, that was written in 1980 by Robert Ludham. The man in the wheelchair was M. 
Spemak, a mercenary broker who Jason Bourne killed. So that was I, all the whole. I had no idea. That's that's cool. Yeah. So that was just a, a nod to like you know the Bourne Identity books because this is before the Bourne Identity was even made. So. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith was originally commissioned to compose the score, but MGM scrambled to find a replacement in time. They hired Czech composer Elia Kamaral. And I will say, I love some of the scenes where they're like, where there's like the orchestra and then there's like a drummer like behind it, like keeping the beat. Like it's, it's really, really cool. I really liked it. Yeah, the music is great. Yeah. The original ending had uh, Deirdre. Outside the cafe where Sam and Vincent are thinking about whether uh, she should enter or not before deciding against it. As she walks to her car, she is taken by the IRA who she has betrayed and who will presumably kill her. In his commentary DVD, John Frankenheimer claims that the preview audience disliked the ending, saying they did not want to see Deirdre die. So a second ending was filmed where Deirdre walked away after Sam walked out of the cafe. According to Frankenheimer, this ending was also disliked by the preview audience, who thought it was set up to be a sequel and described it as too Hollywood. So, while Frankenheimer liked the original ending, he concluded that the investment MGM uh, Universal uh, had made in the film, they had to listen to the audience. So, the final ending, where Deidre does not appear and her fate is left up in the air, was used. So, the original ending is included on the special edition DVD. Well, I have to say the one they went with in the, in, the, in the film is the way to go because, again, what works about both these films so much is their ambiguity, and uh, and and le- leaving it kind of up to up to your imagination. To me, it's so appropriate with everything else in the film because, again, much like life, sometimes people just leave your life and you don't know what happens to them. You know, mm-hmm. like 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 they, like there like there are girls I've been romantically involved with in my life. Who just you know we, we we stopped seeing each other we kind of drifted apart and I don't know where they're at now sometimes that just happens and you you're, you're just kind of they become like a happy a happy memory or something that you kind of hope you'll run into again one day but you never know for sure and I like that the movie does that because that's how life goes sometimes sometimes you know you have some person who comes into your life who will completely you know kind of catch your eye but then circumstances takes you apart and you don't necessarily know what happens to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then while you're watching it, you kind of decide like I I kind of thought about like you know you start thinking deeper about the movie and and you start thinking about it later like well you know why didn't why didn't Deirdre showed up uh you know at the end uh like didn't she you know because she was trying to say hey get in the car let's get out of here we got everything you know what I'm saying she thought that like hey we're safe and he was you know basically saying to no I never left the CIA like you're just as much in trouble as he is like you need to get out of here yeah. basically like. Uh, he was trying to save her and, you know, she, you know, I'm sitting there thinking like, so say that, you know, she did escape and like, you know, now she's not going to go running back to him because he's part of the CIA still. Right. Like, why yeah. would she be with it? You know what I'm saying? That's, that's kind of like the ending that I came up in my own head, you know, just by leaving it up in the air, you know, you kind of make decisions about that sort of stuff, you know, well, but, yeah. and it, but it's like Vincent said, uh, in, the, in that voiceover, no answers, you know? Yeah, right. And sometimes that's just how life goes sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, you, 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 we got enough information to get us to, to get us to the story and to uh-huh. give us a glimpse of this covert, you know, clandestine world. And that's 
that's all we get. And the rest is just up to your imagination. And that's, that's part of why these movies are wonderful. Yeah. I mean, and, and I guess it's like kind of commonplace now for Hollywood to shoot alternate endings so that they go through test audiences and all this kind of stuff, right? Whether, you know, they can pick the, the, the better ending of what audiences want or whatever. Um, yeah. And it, and to me, it's kind of a miracle this movie survived test screening. It is, it is so kind of unique and and vague. And I've always been kind of amazed that Ronan not only survived the test screening process, but it went on to be a very popular film mm-hmm. uh, because it's it doesn't hold your hand. You know, yeah. it's it's not a movie that that you know is 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 worried about being commercial, but because everything, every all the individual elements are so strong, even your average person kind of. Saw, hey, this is a cool movie because De Niro is really great in it because it's got cool car chases and cool gunfights. And but if you look at it that way, sure, it works great. But if you appreciate it on it on a deeper level, it's this great ambiguous story, mm-hmm. which you know it works on both levels. Like it, it's gonna be very service level if you want it to be, or it can be something deeper and more and more meaningful if you want it to be. Mm-hmm. That's the great thing about it being so ambiguous. Yeah, um, Roger Ebert. Uh, like I said before, box office fifty five million. Oh no, excuse, excuse me. Budget fifty five million. Box office forty one million. So not a great success. Um, I mean, it, it made some more, you know, money in the video rental market, but you know, that's not where you know a lot of these movies like where they're the bulk of the money want to be made or whatever, right? So uh, it's just unfortunate. Um, it didn't make more. But Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars, and he says, I enjoy the film on two levels for its skill and its silliness. The actors are without accepting, without exception, convincing in their roles, and the action makes little sense. He kind of thought the story sort of wondered, and there was just like action in car scenes just to have action in car scenes. I don't think that he really got like involved in the story and thought that the MacGuffin was kind of like a cheap way of of doing things, you know what I mean? And I, yeah, and sometimes he, he still appreciated it though. And, you know, if people can come out movies at different times in their lives. And then maybe if he watched it again, he would feel differently about it. But I mean, three and a half stars on his four star scale is still really high. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, he just, I think that he mentioned some of like the past Frankenheimer's work and stuff like that. I think that might have been expecting more or something like, that. I don't know. Um, Rotten Tomato Critics score 68, audience 80%. This movie is really well loved by people. It's had a, it's grown since home video. This was a home video movie. It really was. Like, I mean, even just, I'll tell you, I think two years ago, Arrow put out a really nice Blu ray of it, which if, if you're home, if you're a home media guy, mm-hmm. I highly recommend tracking down the Arrow Blu ray of Ronin. It's great. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to, I'm going to take a little aside. Now, this could be old news by the time this comes out. But MGM recently sold all their catalog mm. to Amazon, mm. so eventually Amazon Prime is going to have all the MGM all the MGM movies, in, which is going to include Ronin. So that probably means that the physical media stuff is going to be fewer and far between. Yeah. So if you love Ronin and no. you don't have a copy of it, that you, if you if you're still a guy who buys movies, a guy or girl who buys movies, I'd recommend getting the Arrow Blu-ray of Ronin within the next year or two mm. because it may not be around much longer. Um. Because a lot of these MGM films are going to be purely Amazon Prime movies, probably within the next five years. Yeah, I I tell you real quickly, and I should have mentioned this beforehand. Why you know why I like this movie so much 
is because I feel like, like we talked about, like all the scenes, all the chase scenes and the fight scenes like seem real. But another thing is that like, I think the pacing of this movie is like almost perfect because it's like you start off like with all these seedy characters, like, you know, gathering in a cafe and then it's like, okay, then they have like a, you know, like one little thing where they, you know, get the guns and then like there's a shootout. You learn a little bit and each time, each scene, you learn a little bit more about the characters and a little bit more about their dynamics. So like one thing kind of builds and builds and builds on the other. And I think that that's what kind of keeps you involved. And so it's not really uh, the MacGuffin that kind of gives you involved. I mean, that's what you want to see how like it all plays out, but you also like get involved in the, uh, the characters and um, like how, how everything is going to play out at the end. Because like I said, everything kind of builds perfectly like building blocks, one on top of the other. And there's enough action, you know, to, and fall and rise and fall, that it, that it keeps you interested. It's not just like, you know, the whole time, you know what I'm saying? And that's why it's like really enjoyable action movie to me because it's not, it's not gory. It's not like a funny, like action movie. It's just kind of like, it, it's very easily watchable, I guess. Well, it's so rare for these kind of like movies. And I, and I say, I mean, you know, action movies are kind of my thing. I mean, that's, that's really, that's my most beloved genre is action. And it's rare for an action movie to put character first as heavily as Ronin does, and so that's why that's one of the many reasons why it's special. And mm-hmm. you know, the action genre as a whole would be so much more would be so much stronger if more films put character first. Mm. And but that's one reason that Ronin is so special because what matters is the characters and their interactions with each other. Yeah, that's what it hooks you in. I'm sure all the other stuff is there, and it's cool and it's fun. But but what really hooks you, what really makes you care, is the relationships and the character development. And it does it in such a subtle, stealthy way that you don't even realize that you're getting so invested in it as it's going along. But by the end, you're really invested in what happens to these characters. Mm. And that's when that's why it's a great film. Yeah, I mean that's why I love even the 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 ending of Ronan, where you know it, it's it's a. Uh, uh, Sam and you know uh, the uh, Vincent uh, kind of like you know and and where they have to like shake hands awkwardly because like one has his you know arm broken and and you know what I'm saying it's like kind of like yeah uh, and you know and then like you know Vincent just goes walking about on his way you know and and it's kind of like one of these and that's why it's great it's just like one sort of slice of an adventure and then like it's it's all over you know what i mean so mm-hmm. everybody kind of yeah. goes on their their own separate way so um so ryan that's all very true about ronin i mean it's it is a great film so if you were gonna if you were gonna do a triple feature with ronin and spartan what would you recommend to go with these two great films i mean the, the movies that i mentioned before i think you can drop in you know any sort of you know jack ryan uh feature um you know, executive decision, uh, Patriot. Ga- I mean, even though we talked about before, like executive decision isn't really a Jack Ryan, but it was it was kind of written uh, with that sort of character in mind. Uh, but executive decision, um, any of those movies, I think would fit in. Um, the uh, Born Identity. Uh, I mean, I like that movie as well because it's it's also in Europe. It also has like a lot of chase scenes. There's really like this character development, and and still it's like kind of a, a nod to there. But one movie that I, I kept thinking about. Um, is uh, it was actually a remake um, uh, of another movie called The Italian Job. 
um, that stars Donald Sutherland and Mark Wahlberg and Edward Norton, and um, that I, that I uh, also uh, oh uh, Charlie Theron and Seth Green and Jason Statham and I mean it's just like an excellent excellent cast and it's all about uh you know it's it's more along like a, a heist movie right like uh or yeah uh, but but it's in like Italy and um but it's still it's it's still one of those like kind of like double crossing kind of like you know where there's like a lot of cool car chases and stuff like that in 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 Europe yeah, it's got, yeah. It's got this great this great mini cooper car chases yeah know, like that's that when the really well done. yeah the mini cooper the BMW mini cooper like came out and and um yeah but it, it, I think would really go really well I think with uh like with Ronin um or or Spartan I guess you would say <laughs> But probably more with Ronan, but but yeah, it'd also be a, it'd also be a nice lighter change of pace after these two kind of heavy films. I mean, sometimes you gotta lighten it up, especially at the if you're gonna especially if you're gonna watch a bunch of movies in one day. That'd be a good one to program at the end to kind of bring yourself back out of this like heavy mindset, this heavy mindset of that that Spartan and Ronan would put you in. Because mm-hmm. if you watch Spartan and Ronan back to back, you're gonna be like walking around your house like monologuing to yourself, thinking you're all badass. You need a little <laughs> bit of levity to kind of snap you out of that. Or stuff, like the born know? identity or something like that, where it's just like, yeah. you know, oh, I've got these like found powers I don't know about. Like I'm really a secret <laughs> CIA operative that I don't know, you know, whatever and. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a much more lighter, uh, more fun film for sure. Yeah, it would definitely be a nice chaser to those two. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think there's only one movie that, that I can recommend because it, it blends together, you know, the elements of both films so perfectly in a very similar story. It's got, it stars Robert De Niro, it stars Val Kilmer. Uh, you know what I'm probably going to say? It's a movie uh, about that's, oh, yeah. that has a, has a lot of stuff that's implied where not everything is spelled out, but I'm talking about, of course, Michael Mann's Heat about yes. bank robbers and cops in L.A. It's wonderful. It tonally is so similar to both films. Yeah, uh, it's about it's about guys just doing the work. Yeah, doing what they have to do to get by. Kind of lonely characters, mm. but it's got it's got the same kind of like very realistic like gunfights and realistic yeah. depictions of, of of violence. Yeah, and it's just good. again, it's got two great performances by. Val Kilmer and De Niro. Uh-huh. So, of course, I think it would go great with these two films. Yeah. And it's also, it brings in the wonderful energy of uh, Pacino just being really over the top and fun. Uh, yeah. And if you've not seen Heat, I don't know why, I don't know why you listen to this show if you haven't seen Heat, but you gotta see Heat. Yes. I mean, it's, it's kind of cliche, yes. but it, it's one of the great movies of the last, of the later part of the 20th century. Yeah. I, I completely agree. I remember, uh, watching Heat and, um, I mean, it is rather long. Um, there's a lot of, there's a great action sequence though at the beginning. Um, but yeah, the, the interplay between, uh, Pacino and, and De Niro is, is awesome. Um, because really, uh, like the bad guy is, um, is De Niro and Al Pacino plays the cop, but it, it very well could have been like the, the roles could have been reversed. You know what I mean? Um, but they just play off of each other. Uh, so well and they're friends but then they you know during the the movie they're you know both like kind of like method actors they're like kind of like you know i don't want to see you i don't want to you know i, I want to you know not like you and all this other kind of stuff and and i think that that's a uh that's that's one of these great movies that had like 
a huge budget, probably more than they probably deserved. Um, but they did a lot with it. And I think that it's one of those, um, action movies that also, uh, you know, is kind of a thriller as well, you know, because there's this whole sort of mind chess game that those two play against each other. So it's really great. Yeah, it's to me. It's to me. Like I said, it's one of the great movies of of, of the last part of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you like if you like Ronan, if you like Spartan, I can't imagine you haven't seen Heat. But if you like those two movies and you some for some reason haven't seen Heat, then oh man, you were in for a treat. Yeah. Or if you like Heat and you've never seen Ronan or you've never seen Spartan, know that if you like Heat, you're likely gonna love Ronan and you're gonna love Spartan. Well, I mean, it, it stars like it has like Val Kilmer and Robert De Niro in it. So I mean, it's like perfect combination right <laughs> it really is like i mean it it's like it's like it's like it's like the house combination of if you're gonna it was like if, if ronan and spartan are like individual items on a menu he's sort of the combination dinner <laughs> right know? exactly for sure all right well that uh about wraps it up for uh these uh these two movies um i'm feeling very sort of pumped up very sort of i, I don't know about you but uh, but yeah. Um, thanks again yeah. for these these great movies, uh, Matt. I'm good. I'm glad you enjoyed them, Ryan. Yeah, very much. You've so. had your whole life to prepare for this moment. Why aren't you ready? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I might. <laughs> yeah, Spartan is full of great dialogue like that. So I, I was I just wanted to slip that in there. Oh, right. But uh, but but I'm I'm glad you liked them, Ryan. Yeah. I I think these two films are phenomenal. I think if you've ever seen these movies, guys who are listening to us out there in podcast land please watch them you'll love them they can be easily seen on streaming for not a lot of money mm-hmm. uh, so until next time you know I'm Matthew Esther and I'm Ryan Acri go watch some movies guys thanks for checking out this episode of Video Culture you can check us out on Twitter at Video Culture 2 that's the number 2 for two guys talking about movies like Ryan and myself and you can also check us out on Facebook just search for Video Culture Podcast Also, be sure to stop by our our official website, video-culture.com. There we have the entire show archives, as well as articles about film. Yeah, so check us out. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, coming out with us, talk movies. Did you like the show? Do you hate the show? Do you like or hate the movies we talked about? Let us know. Come chat with us, and let's all watch movies together. Do you ever kill anybody? I hurt somebody's feelings once. Five professionals. Oh, I know you. I don't think so. It's a small world. Not in my experience. Hired for a mission. This is what we're after. To recover a package. We need to take it intact from several men who will be intent on preventing us. Nice. My kind of job. That some are willing to die for. Relax, darling. Just a game. Could you take a picture of me and my wife? Get the background. Guy goes for the case. Other guy's protecting the principal. Oh, they're good. And everyone is willing to kill for. I want $100,000. I want it up front. I want another 100000 when you get the case. All good things come to those who wait. Target is on the way. We've gotten the word. We're moving. Come on, let's go. You don't want to go in there. Get out of here. Walk away. Walk away. How did you know it was an ambush? That's the first thing they teach you. Who taught you? I don't remember. 
was the second thing they'd teach you. We've made a good plan, and we're gonna stick with it. What's this girl work for? Are you afraid? Of course I'm afraid. You think I'm reluctant because I'm happy? Who are our employers? I'm not under any obligation to let you know. If you are not, then the price has got to go up. It's not gonna happen. That girl sold us out. We're following the wrong people. In the car! From director John Frankenheimer. Robert De Niro, Jean Reno, Natasha McElhone, Stellan Skarsgård, Sean Bean, and Jonathan Price. I won't hurt you. Ronin. You worried about saving your own skin? Yeah, I am. That was my body. <laughs>